Good morning. Hear the word of God from Joshua, chapter 4, 4, verses 19 through 24. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. You can find this reading on page 171 in your pew Bible. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Those twelve stones which they had taken out of the Jordan, Joshua had set up in Gilgal, saying to the Israelites, When your children ask their parents in time to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel Israel crossed over the Jordan here on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we crossed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Israelites did not have smartphones, nor did they have audio recorders or DVD players or day planners or photo albums. They didn't even have a standard written language let alone a pen and paper, or books, or a journal. All this to say, I would have made a lousy Israelite, because I need all of these things to remember things. Without them, I would forget phone numbers, and birthdays, and appointments, and ideas. All the Israelites had, instead of those things, were stories. That's how they recorded information stories that they would tell each other, stories that they would orally share around campfires huddled in tribes, stories that the elders of the community would pass on to the younger people in that community, all as a way of transmitting not only the memories, but their core identity to future generations of those tribes. That's the way they remembered not only what had happened to them, but who they were. But every once in a while, something so amazing, so unbelievable would happen to the Israelites that it prompted them to not just tell stories about it, but to construct vivid, tangible reminders of it. So every once in a while, God would tell them how to do a ritual of remembrance or to create an object of remembrance. And that's what happened the backdrop of today's Scripture reading. Something so amazing had happened to the children of Israel that God wanted them to not only remember it in the present, but to pass it on down the road into their future. And today, the church, this church, is called to remember in much the same way. At the outset of the book of Joshua, something amazing had happened to the Israelites after wandering in the wilderness for decades. Having been released from the tyranny of Pharaoh, the Israelites were wandering through the desert for decades, hungry and thirsty, prone to disease, and ultimately hopeless. But now, 
Now something amazing had happened. They had just crossed through the Jordan River. God had dried up the riverbed. They were able to walk across on dry land, and now they were on the other side of the Jordan on the brink of finally being able to enter that beloved promised land that had been guaranteed to their ancestors. Now they were so close they could taste it, but before they were allowed to step into Canaan, God said, wait a minute, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this so vividly that you would mark this territory for future generations. He said, take everybody, every tribe, take one stone per tribe and create an altar. Stack those stones to create a memorial, if you will. So vivid and so stunning that from that moment on, when future generations of the Israelites would look upon those 12 stones, they would be prompted to ask this obvious question, what do these stones mean? What do these stones mean? And that would be the gateway for you to tell the stories. The stories about what God had done in their past, the stories that reclaimed their heritage and reminded them of their identity, the stories that would remind them of who they are. Well, that's really what I want to do with you this morning in the sermon, is simply just tell you some stories, one story after another, from the long, rich history of this church over its 118-year span. Stories that remind us not only of what God has done among the people of Hyde Park, but that remind us of who we are, that we have always been, since our earliest days, a warm-hearted and open-minded congregation, a people that's been open to a diversity of people and open to a diversity of perspectives. And if we ever need a reminder of what those stories are, we have these stones to tell us. The, the literal stones of this campus, as well as the hearts of the people who comprise this congregation that remind us that we've always been a warm-hearted and open-minded people. And I think the most vivid and most important story of all of them is a story of Dr. Lori Ray. Many of you are familiar with that name. He was one of the longest-serving pastors in the history of this church for a long time. He served about 60 years ago, right amid the tension of the civil rights movement. Dr. Lori Ray, on several occasions, would stand in the pulpit of this congregation and decry segregation in our culture. He would take a firm stance against discrimination against minorities. To the point where there were a small number of people in the church who were so offended by Dr. Lori Ray's comments that they started a letter-writing campaign. They wrote letters to the bishop of the Florida Conference urging Dr. Ray to soften his stance against segregation. It eventually culminated in an administrative board meeting of this church where its elected leadership gathered for a meeting and a debate emerged. And the tensions erupted. At one point, one member of the church, one of those people who wrote one of those letters, offered a motion that if passed would ultimately move this congregation 
to the side of segregation. And it was at that moment that Dr. Lori Ray stood up and addressed that administrative board. And as Jim Harnish recounts this story in his book, You Only Have to Die, the words that Dr. Ray shared echoed in that room. He declared that motion to be out of order because he said it was inconsistent with the heart of the gospel. In that room was a woman who recounted her own feelings during that exchange, and her story is told in which she said these words. She said, this is God's church, not ours. And we have no business trying to decide who could come in and who could not. And as a result of Dr. Ray's speech, when the vote was taken, the motion was defeated. The stones of this place tell that story. Whenever you go into our chapel, it's named the Lori Ray Chapel. And so those stones are a reminder to us that we are a warm-hearted and open-minded congregation. But even when you come into this sanctuary, these stones of this place tell us this story. In fact, the stained glass windows that you look at every single Sunday tell these stories. Behind me is one stained glass window in particular that I draw your attention to. Perhaps sometime you can come up onto the chancel and look at these windows, but in particular, the one that is right here behind the pulpit, over here in the corner, a beautiful stained glass window that is a rendition of Jesus the Good Shepherd. But if you look near the bottom, you'll see some names on that stained glass window, family members all under the family name Cluis. The Cluis family was one of the founding families of this church over a hundred years ago, and one of its most prominent members was a man named Richard Cluis. The one thing I want to tell you about Richard Cluis is that he had a passion for young people in the church. He believed that the future and the longevity of a church is all based on its ability to transmit the faith to its future generations, to its children and its youth. In fact, he was one of the very first scoutmasters, the Boy Scouts here at Hyde Park. And under his tutelage was a young lad named Lloyd Knox. We came to know him eventually as Reverend Lloyd Knox, one of the pastors of this church, who would eventually become Bishop Lloyd Knox out of this Florida conference, and he was shaped by people like Richard Cluis, who believed that the health of a congregation is based on its ability to open up the faith for its young people. In fact, another story is told about another administrative board meeting in this church, a gathering of elected leaders, where Richard Cluis stood up and addressed the administrative board, and he too, just like Lori Raywood, drew a line in the sand, and he said that this church needed to be more open to young people. 
It needed to reach out to children and youth and young adults and actually be more open to young people being in leadership in the church because he believed just as our baptismal vows offer for us every time we do a baptism that we are part of a church of Jesus Christ that is open to people of all nations and races and ages. And so when I stand in this pulpit every single Sunday, I do so in the shadow of this stained glass window that looks over this congregation with the witness of the Cluis family. I stand in this pulpit in the shadow of pastors who have gone before me like Dr. Lori Ray and Bishop Lloyd Knox who have always believed in an all-inclusive love of God which knows no boundaries, no differences among us, that all of us, without exception, are to be welcomed into the hospitality of God. Remarkable stories. But there's more. In fact, one of the most vivid stories to share comes to us in the form of a literal stone. This is a tin box. Many of you have seen this box before. It is a box that for decades was unseen and unknown by this congregation until it was unearthed underneath a literal stone on this campus. When the old fellowship hall was being torn down, the cornerstone was unearthed, and underneath it was this time capsule, an old archive box whose contents were placed there by people in this church nearly a hundred years ago. Handling the contents of this box means that I am literally handling history in this church, pieces that our spiritual ancestors wanted to make sure were not only preserved but passed on to future generations like us. Now, from this distance, there's no way that you can see what's in this box. So we wanted to give you a little bit of an up-close and personal look at what's in this box and a reminder of who we are. most important items in my entire office. The contents inside it are some of the most valuable things that I have here at the church. It's pieces of history from the church, contents that are ranged from all the way back to 1923, which means that when I open the box and handle the items inside, I'm literally touching pieces that are about a hundred years old that remind us of who we are. When the church was about 10 years old, about 1909, a Methodist pastor wrote to the congregation here and said that every household should have a handful of items in their possession. One of them, of course, was the Bible, just like this pocket New Testament. Another piece was the Methodist hymnal. It's a reminder that every Methodist, every Wesleyan person, should be a singing person, and inside it are songs that speak of our theology. 
uh, what I like about this particular hymnal is that it's pretty clean. There's no writing, there's no markings in it, except for page 279. Somebody has gone through this hymnal and gone through the hymn Rock of Ages, very clearly articulating how they wanted it to be sung, which means that whenever we sing, Rock of Ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, you can almost hear the faint echo of those in our spiritual past who were singing along with us. The third item is the Book of Discipline. It's a book that reminds us of the central core of our theology and our belief. It orders our life together so that there's consistency across the board among all the congregations. And it reminds us of how the whole denomination is organized so that we can remember that no local Methodist church is ever, ever alone. And every Methodist church ought to have a copy of the church newsletter. Now look at this thing. It's like an actual newspaper. This is from 1923. The Florida Conference newsletter used to be called the Florida Christian Advocate. The headline here from 1923 is Our Work Among the Indians. That way every local church could keep apprised of what was happening all across the conference. Cities, communities, everywhere in the state of Florida. Well, you know, that, that really could be it in terms of contents in this box. A lot of those items are really, really important. But there's more in this box. And in fact, some of these pages contain some of the most important pieces of our history that remind us really of who we are. Because here in these pages are names, faces, families, stories. It's the people that have always made this church a place where God's love can be made real. Look at this, page after page after page of nothing but names of individuals and families who are part of the membership of this church about 100 years ago. There's about, a 400, there's about 400 names in here of individuals and families who named Hyde Park as their spiritual home. You know, when you see long names, long lists of names like this, people that uh, we may know or may not even remember. It's always a reminder to us that the work that we do in any given era, the impact that we make, lasts a lot longer than our years. Think about the fact that when these people were creating this church and building God's kingdom through their efforts, how could they possibly have imagined that people a hundred years later, you and me, would be enjoying the fruits of their labors. And then I think about the call that's on all of us. What will history say about us? If there were a similar box created for people a hundred years from now in this church, what would our stories be? What would our, what would our stories say about the way we were faithful, about the way you and I gave of the fullness of ourselves make God's love real through our prayers and our presence, through our financial gifts, through our full resources, service, and witness. It's incumbent upon us to remember the faithful of the past, to be diligent with who we are in the present, and to know that the impact that we make will last, even down the road, long into the future. Well, there's one more story about this box that I want to share with you. If you open it up and pull out that little Bible, 
little pocket New Testament and leaf through it, you'll discover that it is remarkably clean, which means there are no handwritten notes, no highlights, no marked-up text, except for one passage in the entire Bible. It's in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. Someone, about a hundred years ago, had taken a small passage of Acts 15 and faintly written in pencil a small marking next to a few of its verses. And so like, like the children of Israel would say, what does that mean? What would it mean that someone nearly a century ago marked up that passage and only that passage in the entire Bible to be preserved for posterity in this time capsule for us, the future generation, to find it. Well, what's happening in Acts 15? It turns out it's a story from the early church, and they are having a sort of administrative board meeting. One of the early administrative boards called the Jerusalem Council, and they are having a fierce debate about how warm-hearted and open-minded the church of Jesus Christ was going to become. They were having a debate on whether or not a person needed to be a Jew first in order to be a follower of Jesus, or if it were possible for the love of God to be extended even beyond Judaism and to be welcoming of Gentiles. And as Acts 15 records the minutes of this administrative board, at one point somebody stands up and addresses the entire Jerusalem council. Peter got up and made an impassioned speech. He drew a line in the sand and he said the love of God will be extended to people regardless of how different they are from us. That's the story in Acts 15. And someone in this church nearly a hundred years ago was so taken by that story that they marked it in this Bible for us to see today. It's another reminder that this church has always been about God's all-inclusive love for people regardless of our differences as a warm-hearted and open-minded congregation, and that all of us, without exception, all of us are called by God to offer the fullness of our lives for the mission of the gospel that none of us are to withhold any part of who we are, that we are all to offer our time and our talent and our resources and even our financial generosity for the advancement of God's kingdom to all people. In fact, it is evident in the earliest mission statement of Hyde Park Methodist Church. Back in 1909, only when the church was 10 years old, this church adopted a mission statement, a motto of sorts. It was not making God's love real. That's only 25 years old. The earliest mission statement of this church is all at it and always at it. In fact, I'm going I'm to ask you to say that in unison with me. And, uh, 
And when you say it, I want you to imagine being able to hear the faint echoes of generations of people in this church, including our earliest founders, who were anchored by this statement as they said it together, as we say it right now, all at it and always at it. You know what I love about that statement? Is that the word all has always been part of our spiritual DNA. Without exception, this church has always believed that God's love is boundless and available to people regardless of how different we might be from each other. And it also means that all of us are always called to be all in for God, that we are not to withhold a single part of who we are for the advancement of the good news, that we are to be fully committed and fully obedient to God to advance the mission of this church. That's what this church has always been about. It's not about bricks and mortar. It is not about stones and rocks. It is not about buildings. It has always been about people, about relationships, about expanding the hospitality of God to more and more people so that more people can experience God's inclusive love for them. And it's always been about the people of God offering the fullness of who they are, including their financial resources. And so as we enter this year's stewardship campaign, this is the spiritual foundation of our generosity. It is a reminder that this church has always been about God's inclusive love that requires all of our full surrender to Jesus Christ. In your pew racks this morning is this year's financial pledge commitment card. It's a card that in many ways is like ones you've seen in the past. It's an opportunity for you to write your name and the amount that you want to contribute over the upcoming year. But it also has a fancy new device in that it has a self-adhesive sticky on the side, which means that even right now, if you feel compelled to do so, you can fill out the card and by protecting your anonymity, seal it, fold it, place it in the offering plate even today before you leave so that you may put on that card a number that fully reflects your whole surrender to Jesus Christ. That's the basis for our campaign, and it's the basis of our identity this year. You remember how the story ends, how the Scripture passage concludes? When the Israelites had crossed over the Jordan River and they had built that 12-stone stacked altar of remembrance, Joshua says that they did so for one reason and one reason only, so that, quote, all the peoples of the earth, all the peoples of the earth, may, eat, may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and so that we might fear the Lord our God forever. That is at the core of who we are. That is why we offer God the fullness of our time and our talent and our treasure, so that all the earth may know about God's love so that all the earth might know that the Lord's hand is mighty and so that all of us can always be at it, offering the fullness of our obedience to Jesus. 
We have always been a church that has proclaimed God's love to be made real for all people, and all of us are called to be a part of it. That is why we are here. That is who we are, and that is what we do. Let us pray together. Oh God, we are in awe of these stones and these stories that remind us of the grand sweep of Your love throughout the history of this church and calls us to an exciting future. We thank You for the legacy of those who have gone before us that remind us of Your inclusive love and of our core qualities of being warm-hearted and open-minded. It is our desire to share with the world the good news of Your love in Jesus anchored in the Scriptures, committed to our mission to make Your love real. O oh God, as we ponder our stewardship for the upcoming year, may we hear Your call to offer You nothing less than the fullness of who we are so that we can continue the work that You are doing for more people all around the world. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and let all God's people say, Amen.